Welcome to Master Your Money, the podcast that teaches you how to take control of your hard-earned money all while living your best life. I am your host, Elizabeth Heiza, Chief Marketing Officer at the Barnum Financial Group. I once felt powerless when it came to managing my finances and my attitude follows suit until one day I changed my mindset, built up my knowledge, and put myself back into a financial position of power. And I started this podcast to provide you with the same education and advice that I received on my journey. Now, I want to help you master your money. Hello, welcome to today's episode. We are here with John Pearson. John is a financial planner and a financial services executive here at Barnum Financial Group. John also has been a CPA for almost 40 years and a financial advisor for 31 of those years. John helps people create financial strategies that are consistent with their life goals. Chief among those goals are retirement and helping fund their children children's college education. And that's where we are spending our time with John today. We are talking about how to make the most of the financial aid package given to your child. John has authored articles for professional and general media use on topics such as tuition discounting, student loans, financial aid, tax incentives for college expenses, and the use of intrafamily transfers. So we are talking to the experts today. John, welcome to the show. How are you today? Just great. Just great. It's a little bit after April 15th. From a tax point of view, it's a happy time for a CPA. Uh, <laughs> that's right. That's right. Hope you're getting a little R&R after yeah, that. Yeah, a little bit. Yep. Good, good, good. Um, I could not be more thrilled for this episode. During our prep call, the information that you were giving me was just fascinating. Absolutely mm -hmm. fascinating. So for all of our listeners who are listening in, Definitely grab a pen and paper because the stuff that the information that John is going to give us is so critical. If you have children that you need to put through college or if you know people who are thinking about putting children through college or whoever it is, friends, nieces and nephews, it doesn't matter. This podcast is for you. This episode is for you today. And John is going to share so much great stuff. So I am I just want to dive in because that's how excited I am. But let's start with John telling us about the work that you do. Tell us what you do to help your your clients every day. Yeah, I think when it comes to the college side of things, what we're really trying to help people do is or recognize that this is one of the largest things they're ever going to buy. Mm -hmm. And as such, you know, it's important to have a strategy or a plan to do that rather than just you know, step into the process and hope that it'll all come out okay. So really for the folks who come and, and see us on this, this is what we try to do is help them organize their college funding into a way that'll allow them to have maybe a buck or two to retire on one day. <laughs> I love that. So knowing that college is one of the largest things or the largest thing you're mm -hmm. ever going to buy, mm -hmm. uh, you help folks fund that investment yeah. or... And yeah, not only from the, you know, savings point of view. Yeah, it's great when we run into folks who maybe have a two or a three year old and say they've got 15 years to 
to go before college comes. But oftentimes people tend to go more into crisis mode somewhere mm-hmm. around age 16 or 17 of their kids. And they, you know, see that light in the tunnel of the oncoming train. That's really where we try to help people take control of that process. I'm just curious from your perspective, because you've been doing this a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Close to 15 years now. Yeah. So I'm sure you have seen a lot of different situations. I know um, you and I have known each other all that time. And I know you have worked with hundreds, it's safe to say, hundreds of families, if not more, through this process. So you've seen the gamut. Oh, there's some horror stories, you know, that, that you see, you know, people who've gotten themselves into some significant amount of debt, sure. um, spent down assets that they thought they were going to be using for other things. Sure. Yeah, it, it's sometimes pretty scary to see what you see out there. Ugh, but that yeah. part of what we do, you know, is try to help people strategize and work their way through that. Yeah. So. Yeah. I'm just curious from your perspective, why is it that people do wait You know, and I'll even admit, I'll use myself as the example. I have young children, still Mm -hmm. grammar school age. Now, of course, I know that college is coming, but I also still look at it as a ways away. Mm -hmm. Right. Is that the normal thought process? It's just hard to visualize. Yeah, I think people recognize early on that, yeah, they probably do need to save something for college. But then there's also a ton of other things tugging at their sleeves. Mm -hmm. You know, they've got to save for retirement. Mm -hmm. You know, and of course, kids have all these let's call them enrichment activities mm-hmm. that they have to pay for. And I'm not sure who they're enriching, but bottom line <laughs> is that they do have to, they do have all this money that they need to spend in order to get their child ready mm-hmm. for maybe a future in college one day, yeah. but the savings tend to take a back seat sometimes. Totally. And I think it's also hard. Like I cannot envision my eight year old as an 18 year old. That's mm-hmm. something so hard to visualize yep. for me, yeah. you know, being out on her own. So I would imagine t- to your point, just so many things step yeah. in the way and, yeah. and you just think you have so much time, right. but right. the work you do proves that we really don't. And that time comes quickly. Yeah. Yeah. And there, there's also, when you get into those teen years, there's a lot of research out there that says that we as parents spend the most money we ever spend during our kids' teenage years. Mm. And then that leaks over into the college years as oh, well. So yeah. there's not a lot of extra money around to set aside. And no one ever saves the whole cost of college. I've been doing a financial plan work for 35 years. The number of people who have saved the cost of their entire, you know, the kids' education, yeah. I could count on one hand. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's great. That's that's good to know, because I think sometimes, you know, you think that's where you need to go. Yeah. Yeah. No that's one. No one ever gets there. Now, you have a really unique skill set. And I didn't really know how unique it was until, you know, we started to talk really deep about this. Mm-hmm. But tell me how what you do either complements or differs from what people traditionally think of when they think of college planning. Can yeah. you just separate that a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. Again, if we just brought up that term, most people would put it into one of two categories, either number one, we're helping people figure out how to get into the right college Mm -hmm. or we're helping people save for college. Okay. Okay. And what we do that is a little different is to number one, make them aware of how the college's side of the equation works, how they, um, you know, provide whatever financial aid they're able to provide, Mm -hmm. what forms it takes 
uh, looking out for little trip wires along the way about mm-hmm. how certain scholarships or or grants might work, how to navigate the student loan process, because nearly everybody borrows something mm-hmm. to help pay for college, but they don't necessarily know all the facets of you know, how the, how those loan paybacks work. Mm-hmm. So we help them with those things as well. That's kind of a brief summary of some of the things that we help people cover. Mm-hmm. Versus, um, you know, and I, I know that you do work with your clients this way, but the traditional route of setting up a 529 mm-hmm. or some sort of savings vehicle, you know, mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. you know, that grandparents like to start for their kids or that mm-hmm. parents start for their kids when they're born. You know, what we're talking about today is more of you have a child who's in, you know, mid high school, a senior in high school, and that time is here. Yeah. You know, how do you, how do you move forward? Yeah. And we help them uh, know how the financial aid form. Most people know it is something called a FAFSA form. We help them understand what they're filling out and how it's interpreted at the other end so that they can then, you know, if there's time for them to adjust their affairs, to make themselves appear that they have more need, there are ways to do that. But if you're waiting until your child's like a senior in high school, it becomes a lot harder. Yeah. Um, And that's what I love is that you are going to share the college's perspective on Mm -hmm. all of this, which is a really great learning point that a lot of people don't get Mm. or don't take into consideration. And when we were talking, like I said, my kids are younger, but I never even imagined that I could take control of this Mm. process as much as you educated me. So I'm excited to dive into that. But before we do still, Again, this is really unique. Uh, Not a lot of people focus on this part of of the college funding Mm. process, this part of the college planning. How did you get here? What what brought you to this point where you do really focus on helping clients through this part? Well, in Mike's situation, it was seeing the process for myself and my own kids, Mm. having them work through this process, filling out my own FAFSA Mm -hmm. forms, and then seeing kind of what a crazy process it was. And then studying more and more about how the colleges do what they do as far as financial aid and clearly recognizing that, you know, this was something that parents would need help with. You know, the the first important conclusion I came to on all this is that this is the only thing that we buy as consumers. This is the only thing that we buy where we have to tell the seller basically everything about our finances before they tell us how much we're going to pay. Mm. And Mm -hmm. when you fill out the FAFSA form, all the information that's on your tax return, all the information that you fill out on this form itself, the school gets a copy of it. So they have a pretty full picture of what your finances are so that they can establish a price point for you. You know, I, I can't think of anything else where we buy anything, you know, it's certainly not a car, and, and to a certain extent, not even a house where we do that. That is amazing to me because mm-hmm. I feel like the average consumer, you go on the website, you look at the tuition costs and you're yeah. like, oh, I can't afford that. Or, oh, gosh, I can't afford that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, over 80 percent of people don't pay that retail price oh, that you're talking wow. about wow. On, the, on the website. It's usually something less, whether it's brought down by some need-based aid that you're offered Mm -hmm. or by some amount of merit aid Mm -hmm. or or something else, which I'm sure we'll talk about something else called a tuition discount. All those things can come into play that will help bring that cost of college down. But 
you know, the initial number, which for many schools right now is in the seventies and eighty thousands, yeah, is you know that's enough to scare anybody. Yes, definitely. And when I think about my children and what I should be saving, that's what I see. Oh yeah, out there, and you know, yeah. makes my heart skip if you beat there. Yeah, that's yeah, because you say, boy, three. I'm, yeah, I'm never. Yeah, you're, you're never going to get. You'll feel like that's like yes. an insur- you know, insurmountable. Yes mountain that you're trying to climb. Yeah. It's, it's really discouraging. And for parents, I would imagine college is just a huge point of pride. The amount of value that you put on education and and money. And those two things are kind of coming together when you have to decide where Mm. you want to send your child or or where they want to go. Yeah. Yeah. There, I mean, there's a ton of emotional factors that go into this, which are hard to, hard to overcome, you know, on a practical sense, Mm -hmm. you know, we all, have, many of us have been fortunate enough to be able to go to college when we were younger. Number one, we want our kids to share that experience of going to college just mm-hmm. because we know what it meant to us. We feel this overriding need to have our child's life be better than our own. Mm-hmm. And college we view as one of those tickets to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, so we we have all those types of things working on us, never mind how much crazy in love we are with our kids. Yes. That we want them to have this wonderful life. So spending more money on a college seems to be the way to make sense to do that. Yes. Now, John, you and your team, uh, you deliver workshops on this topic. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Over three dozen of them every fall, generally, most of them in, in high schools in the general yeah. area. Yeah. Yep. That is unbelievable. Tell us about who does come to those workshops, who should be coming to those workshops, sure. who, who, you know, should really pay attention when listening mm. to this podcast. Talk to us about that. Yeah. 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 Uh, Typically, uh, the parents who come to this are parents of juniors and seniors. What we would like to have happen more and more is that people who are parents of freshmen and sophomores Mm -hmm. uh, come because they have a greater opportunity to be able to prepare their financial situation Mm -hmm. so that, uh, you know, whatever aid there is out there, they can qualify for more readily. Okay. So right now you mostly get parents of juniors and seniors. And at that point, your kind of financial picture is what it is. Yeah. Number one, plus the other part that's going on is getting back to the emotional side. You've already been out to probably visit some schools. Your child has spent a lot of Mm -hmm. time using tools at the school counselor's office, Mm -hmm. something like a, a tool called Naviance, which is a tool that many high school counselors have in their uh, quiver of arrows that help them figure out what's the best match. Mm-hmm. So bottom line is the kids have had a, a, a fair amount of time to fall in love mm-hmm. with the school. Mm-hmm. And as such, you're, you're already well into the process of maybe narrowing down a list to a couple of special places mm-hmm. that it would be difficult to have your child be talked out of. Got it. In case the financial part was out of reach. Out of reach. Yep. So like anything. um, So when a family comes to you with a junior or senior who potentially, as they normally do in high school, they helped your child maybe narrow down schools based on Mm -hmm. likes, based on wants. And and then you go and visit those schools because that's what parents do usually in the summer Mm -hmm. um, between junior and senior year. They Mm -hmm. come to you already have falling in love with a specific college or university. And then it's like, okay, now we need to make this work no matter how. Yeah. They 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 don't want to disappoint their child and they want to take them them to the school of their choice. There's there's a lot of dynamics on that side, too. Number one, you don't want to have to tell your child that 
yeah, I've been telling you all my life that if you work hard, you can always achieve yes. your dreams. Yes. And then on the other side, tell them yes. that, oh, by the way, I really didn't save all that much money for this. And <laughs> oh, uh, now, now we can't really. That's heartbreaking. Yeah. How can yeah. you how can you do that to your kids? Uh, I can't so, even stomach it thinking yeah, about doing yeah, that. Yeah. It's hard. So the goal there is to try to maybe have the conversation earlier on, which yes. is why attending the workshop type things earlier on would be a better yeah. way to be able to help prepare for a, a discussion with your child about the money part. Yeah. And you mentioned, so ideally people, you know, you would love it if families came that freshman, sophomore year, mm -hmm. but you even mentioned that you're contemplating talking to parents of middle schoolers. Yeah. One of the things that we're planning to roll out in the fall is to get out to talk to middle school parents uh, through some sort of college venue that they might offer so that we can start to have them at least think about how that system works. Yes. So that they can be prepared for it and, you know, use whatever savings that they do have in the best possible way. Yeah. And to what you said yesterday, make any changes. Yeah. You know, so that by the time the four years goes by of high school, yeah. they can make any adjustments or changes. So when they do have to fill out that form, it's mm -hmm. conscious. Yes. Versus kind of reactive to wherever, wherever they are in that moment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. No, absolutely. Right. And that immediately right there puts you in a position of power, right? Any type of planning makes you feel more powerful and more confident. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. when you're going into a large decision and investment like this, proper planning will just make everybody feel feel better. About Absolutely. It. And the yeah, most people do look on it as an investment. It's interesting yeah. you use that word because they are looking at this cost of college, if you will, as something that will have a, and what we call in the, in the financial world, an ROI, mm -hmm. a return on investment. Mm -hmm. They're hoping that by virtue of spending $150,000 over four years, that that will translate to several times that in future earning power. Yes. And I think when you go back to uh, maybe a little bit being reactive, you know, parents kind of reacting to their child's wishes, but having the conversation of what is that ROI? So mm. if your child wants to go to an expensive school, whatever that definition is to anybody, but their major or, or the profession that they want to go in won't warrant compensation that will follow that investment or that will make up for that investment, that should be a factor or that well, should be part it, of the conversation. It should be interesting that you brought that up. That's, that's one of the reasons, another one of the reasons I got started in this was going to a meeting with some students back in the early 2000s uh, at a local college. They, the CPA society asked me to come in and speak to some students mm -hmm. about post-college life. So I had a group of 12 young ladies sitting around me and, and I asked them, I said, well, how are you going to deal with the student loans that are going to come from what you have? I mm. says, well, did you, do you all have student loans? And they all raised their hands. Mm -hmm. And I asked, can you give me some sense of what those loans are? And had one young lady who, and this is almost 20 years ago, uh, told me that she already had $90,000 yeah. worth of loans. Oh my gosh. And I asked her, I says, well, what do you, you know, how are you planning to deal with that after you graduate? And I asked her, what do you think your occupation is going to be? She says, well, I don't really know. I'm a Latin American history major. And I says, wow, how is she going to be able to monetize that in some yeah. way? You know, maybe in some work in diplomacy or something mm -hmm. in that. But, 
you know, those are the type of boxes that people build around themselves that are hard to get out of. Yeah. And that sounds like an important conversation. And that's an uncomfortable question you had to ask. Oh, yeah. Right. What is your plan for when you get out of school with X amount of loans? Yeah. You know, and it's probably a question that we don't ask our children enough or we don't have that conversation. Well, they, you know, they may not be necessarily ready to have totally a response of, how am I going to deal with a monthly payment of sure. 900 bucks yeah. a month yeah. five years from now? Yes. Nobody's going to really know that, but Fair. they, you know, just to give some significance to the size and say, look, this is going to take a lot of money to solve. Um, you know, we, we at least should have some strategy on how it's going to work. Yeah. And that's what I'm getting out of the first part of this conversation is that money, the money part of college seems to be kind of last on the list to discuss and strategize over. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can't tell you how much money people spend on the admission side. Yes. You know, there are people who make a huge business out of getting your child into the perfect college. Mm. You know, it's not unusual to see people pay fees of 10, 20, 30, $50,000 to find that consultant that's going to get them into the place that could be that perfect place. That's going to you know, make their life just, you know, sunshine and rainbows. Yes. But then thinking through it past the experience, thinking of this side of the equation. Yeah. How, yeah. how you're going to fund it or how possibly your child is going to fund it. Exactly. That is just outstanding. So let's jump in. And why don't you tell us the things we need to know or the things that parents, aunts and uncles, grandparents, what do we need to know in order to maximize any type of financial aid package or mm-hmm. to help us take control over mm-hmm. this part of the college planning process. Okay. And I know you talk about this in your workshops. Yeah, there, it's, there are several facets to it. Number one, certainly be aware of how the financial planning process works. Like, uh, you know, how does the FAFSA work? When do you need to pay, put it in? Recognize that they're going to be asking information about your income and your assets, as well as the student's income and assets, if they have any. Mm -hmm. And there are ways where you can kind of pre-trial those numbers ahead of time using calculators online that Mm -hmm. both the Department of Education and the College Board have on their websites. Okay. Okay. So that way you can kind of get a feel and say, look, if my kid is going to look at a private school and maybe those typically cost retail $70,000 or so, and this little calculator says that my expected family contribution is going to be um, 20 or 25, then you can say, well, I'm probably going to be a need-based aid candidate for something. Okay. Okay. Um, So that's a way to kind of get started on the need-based aid side. Also, every school's website, as you get a little closer and you have some specific schools in mind, every school has on their website something called a net price calculator, where you can actually get kind of a little bit more specific ballpark number about what that school might end up costing, both based on your finances and also your academics, Mm because they will typically ask questions like, you know, what's your grade point average, what's your class rank, how'd you do on your SATs, mm-hmm. and then make some guesses if they can offer merit aid, what that could be. Mm-hmm. So again, no one will guarantee that that's the perfect number, but it should give you something to work with. So those are a few things that you need to get started, but also to be aware of 
how other things can help you. Like also be aware that there are resources out there. Probably the one I use the most is something called collegedata.com. And it gives you a great sense of uh, what the schools, not only their admissions policies are like, you know, what SAT scores are the typical student having, but also on the financial side, what is the typical amount of aid that a incoming student might get, not only from a need-based side, but also on the merit or tuition discount side. Mm-hmm. Let me describe tuition discounting a little bit more in detail. Yes, just that's so very, you, it's very interesting. Yeah. Here, tuition discounting is a practice that many colleges utilize as a way of recruiting students that involves a fair amount of marketing. Mm. All right. They start out, many of them, with a high retail price of their college uh, because they recognize that you and I, when we see something that looks very expensive, we oftentimes associate a high degree of value with it. So you automatically make some judgment, whether you know it or not that this school must be a pretty good school. Sure. And when you talk retail price, like it's on the website, it's in a brochure, it's what we see, what what the average consumer sees. It's what we see. Exactly right. That's the stuff. When you open up the website, they'll say, this is the room and board, you know, this this is, you know, this is all in, this is the nice meal plan, all that stuff. Got it. Okay. So then how they market this to you is they say, look, you know, please fill out the financial aid forms and then we'll get back to you with a financial aid offer letter, assuming that your child is admitted. So when that letter comes, assuming that your child is admitted, Mm -hmm. it might come back saying, well, you know, congratulations, not only is your child admitted, but Mm -hmm. we're going to offer them, let's say the presidential scholarship or the Mm -hmm. dean's scholarship. And instead of our total retail price being 70 of which 50 of it is tuition, we're going to give you half off on the tuition. Mm. So, you know, now because your child, you know, got this special scholarship. Mm -hmm. All right. So now you're looking at it as gee, this school is only going to cost me 45, only 45. Yeah. You feel like you got a huge discount. Yeah. It's, you know, like buying things on sale, which we all love. Yeah. Yeah. But this time it involves our kids. Sure. You know, and their future. And, you know, if we don't sign our kids up for this, we'll feel like a fool and our kids will probably hate us forever. (laughs) And I would imagine they make you feel so amazing because they gave your child this scholarship. Oh, yeah. So right off the bat, I would imagine I would be like, oh, my God, well, of course you you got a scholarship here. Like, you know, they they value you as a student. Yeah. Yeah. It makes great cocktail party talk. Yes. Think of the bragging rights. My goodness. Yes. Oh, my kid got a hundred thousand dollars scholarship over four years. You know, it's there's just huge value in that. Yes. Yes. So but what has happened there is that you you know, you're attracted by the cachet of having this wonderful scholarship, Mm -hmm. as you said. The school really only wanted $45,000 anyway, even though they said that their price was 70, but their average revenue per student might be somewhere in the low 40s. So, uh, and databases like collegedata.com will give you some feedback into this as to what you can expect at a lot of schools. So it's a resource that anybody can use. You don't have to, you know, other than giving up your email address and maybe tolerating some, some junk email for a while. 
you're going to have access to a database that can really help you. That can really help you understand, <clears throat> let's just call it the sale price or the discounted price. Yes. What the average student pays, actually yeah. pays to go to the school versus what that retail price is. Yeah. Yeah. John, does the average parent know about this? Oh, no, no, no. Most right. of them just get kind of look at the at the retail price and they just go, wow. Um, you know, after their after the tears stop, yes. they they would then, you know, kind of say, well, geez, is it worth applying at all? And it generally is. Yeah. OK. And it really depends on which school you're talking to. There's a group of schools that we all recognize as the fancy brand names, the Ivy, almost Ivy mm -hmm. type schools. Mm -hmm. And they do, in fact, have a lot of money to help people come, assuming you can meet the academic requirements. Mm -hmm. And they are going to be primarily need based. They are not going to come in with any of the discounting. No. Okay. okay. Because they don't have to. They already have, you know, they already turned down 95% of the inbound people. Okay. But then there's this other cap, you know, let's say the, the next level of college that isn't in that rarefied air of, mm -hmm. of uh, you know, the Ivy, almost Ivies. And they're doing this discounting all the time. Now, I used in my example uh, 50% as a discount. And a lot of people say, wow, that's a lot. Well, the, the average discount rate uh, just got published this morning from the colleges cross country, from the business officer association, mm -hmm. the average for the schools that do this, the average discount rate on tuition is 56%. Oh, wow. So this is a big number. This is a big number. Yeah. Yeah. But a lot of parents to answer your original question, most parents aren't aware of this. Oh, well, I hope everybody who was listening really paid attention and mm -hmm. you share this information because that is a huge amount of money. Yeah. It, it could is. be a huge amount of money you could save. Right. Just right. by not doing a little bit of homework, mm -hmm. having kind of those ducks in a row. And that's where the planning process comes in again. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a par partly planning, partly school selection. Yeah. Um, but mostly being aware of other resources out there that can help. That can help you. Now, John, you also mentioned um, merit aid. Yeah. I mean, there are many schools that do, in fact, help with merit aid, you know, mm -hmm. and they certainly take into account things like, as I mentioned before, in the net price calculator class rank or uh, SAT scores. Although that's becoming a little bit less common these days because as a result of COVID, many schools kind of went test optional on their SATs where they don't really require somebody to submit SAT scores. What ends up happening is that the people who have the good SAT scores submit them anyway. <laughs> and the people who don't, don't. Okay. Uh -huh. um, but it is, uh, could be one of the factors that go into merit aid, as well as athletics. You know, that can certainly play a part. So merit, not to interrupt you, but just for people who don't know, merit aid oh, is yeah. when you're getting, uh, you're, you're getting money based on any type of merit. It could be academic. It could be sports. Yeah, it could be a, a special skill that you have. As okay. an example, when my son went to University of Delaware, mm -hmm. he used to be part of the local high school marching band. Mm. And when he went to Delaware, they said, um, do you want to be part of our marching band? He says, sure. And they said, okay, great. Here's $2,500 a year because we know that that's going to be extra work for you. Oh, nice. And so that's a form of special skill. Got An it. Another merit aid, although it's not quite merit, it's a really, it could be geographic. Let's say your child, um, you know, like some children want to go to college as far away from you as possible. Uh -huh. Okay. Uh -huh. And they want to look at a school out in Idaho. Uh -huh. Okay. 
there might be some school in Idaho that says, you know, we don't really get a lot of kids from Connecticut mm -hmm. in order to round out our population and try to get a diverse group. Mm -hmm. Maybe we can offer them a little bit more money to be willing to make the trip. Mm. That could be a form of merit okay. aid. And there could be any other ethnic okay. or, or uh, demographic it. characteristics that could go into other types of merit aid as well. Got it. Now, is this something the college recognizes and offers or do parents have to bring that to the attention of the school? Hopefully the college, the college would recognize that. But when it comes to uh, the parent's ability to bring that to the person's attention, they can absolutely do that, too. Again, this is another way of helping them empower themselves in this process. Because just because the school comes up with an aid offer doesn't mean you have to live with what it was. Okay. You do have the ability to, um, I don't want to use the word negotiate because schools don't like the word negotiate. Of course. Uh, you can come back to them with some suggestions as to why they they maybe should increase their offer. Mm -hmm. But that could take a number of different tacks. It could be uh, things like uh, having offers from other schools. It could be family circumstances that have changed. It could be a number of things. And this is one thing that, again, another point I found fascinating, and I agree about the word negotiation that makes everybody feel a little yeah, a off. Little, sounds a little used car-like. Yes, know? but you you do mention that you could um, enhance your position, mm -hmm. right? You, you, you are not powerless. So mm -hmm. when a school presents an offer, you can come back Mm -hmm. Right. And and offer additional information or explain your situation or even, you know, uh, talk about an offer you got at another school. Right. If possible. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. In that circumstance, let's say if um, they've got a school that they view as a competitor, you know, somebody who they view as kind of on the same playing mm -hmm. field as them mm -hmm. and they you have received an offer that is bringing your net price there to be lower than maybe your number one goal school. Mm -hmm. There's nothing preventing you from following the school's process to put in an appeal for that. Mm -hmm. Now, I'll give you an example of something that I just ran into the other day where a parent was telling me that they went to the admitted students gathering at a college that their child was interested in. And there was uh, some people attending the workshop that was going to be told to them about what it's like to come to the school. But there was a huge line outside the financial aid office of mm -hmm. everybody who wanted to get there and say, I need more money. Mm. But in reality, the process that you should follow is often of um, something you do in writing. It's a very formal process. Got it. And it's not something you could just wander in and yell and scream and say, give me more money or I don't know what I'm going to do. Sure. You had mentioned to, you know, make friends, get to know the folks in the oh, financial yeah. aid office. Right. Tell yeah. us about that. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it's not in a situation where by making a buddy there that they're going of to give course. you, give you more money just because they're, you become their new best friend. Of course, It's really something about having someone who can help explain things to mm -hmm. you and having a name behind it because mm -hmm. they'll be able to tell you, you know, it, whether there's perhaps any special scholarships that might be someone who might be a nursing major, let's mm -hmm. say, or whether there are, um, you know, some special loans that the, you might qualify for that are unique to either that school or maybe a certain major. 
mm-hmm. you know, all those things can be gathered by having someone who, you know, at the, that specific school. So mm-hmm. we always recommend making a friend in the financial aid office for just that reason. That's great advice. Does it ever happen where people confuse an aid with a loan and they mm. think they're getting free money, but that's not the case? Oh, Do yeah. Do you ever come across that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That happens all the time in in the fact that these letters that we all get when they're if we're getting financial aid offered to mm-hmm. us, they're not standardized. So as a result, sometimes things that are loans uh, are are kind of offered up as if it's going to be like a discount or free mm-hmm. money. So um, uh, an example I know we talked about the other day was one where a client of mine got offered a platinum financing package, you know, because the school was afraid to be using the word loan because they thought it would be too scary. Sure. So uh, again, your job is when you get these letters to figure out the stuff you do have to pay back and the stuff that you don't, when it comes to stuff that you don't have to pay back, make sure you understand the terms of it. Cause a lot of times it will be contingent, let's say on a grade point average. Yes. We'll keep giving you 5,000 or $10,000 a year, as long Mm -hmm. as your child maintains a 3.0 or whatever it is. But sometimes schools engage in something called front loading, where they can offer you a scholarship as a freshman. And then all of a sudden you get the next years and it's not there anymore. And then you get to that situation. You go back to your friend in the financial aid office and say, well, what happened to the this scholarship? And they say, oh, that's only for freshmen. Uh, And now you were counting on that and now it's gone. So and are you likely to pull your kid out of school? Probably not. So you just kind of. You know, suck it it up and and deal with it. And that's part of the emotion, right? It's, this is an emotionally charged process. Yeah. And now you're getting back all these letters, all these forms. And if you're not taking the time to go through all these details, Mm -hmm. uh, it could wind up costing you in the long run. Yeah. 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 It just makes you a better consumer if you're able to do all this digging all all the way along, because there's lots of tripwires. Yes. There's a ton of tripwires. Um, how does this work for single single parents or a divorced family? How should mm. how should families in, in those situations navigate this process? Yeah, there's when it comes to filling out financial aid forms, there are some special rules that relate to a single parent that folks should be aware of. In the FAFSA world, uh, at least the way the rules are right this second, it is the parent who has had majority custody of the child over the last 12 months. Okay. And it's just their financial situation that goes on the FAFSA form. Mm-hmm. That's about to change for the ones that we're going to be filling out probably this coming fall. There, it's going to be driven uh, by who's claiming the child on their tax return, which okay. could be different. Okay. So, This is something that if you're a single parent, you want to keep close track of because this was a rule change that really just took place within the last year that they said was going to be effective for the fall of 23. Okay. We'll see if that actually comes to pass. Okay. But where if your child fills out just the FAFSA, but that's that's one set of rules. If your child is going to one of the elite private schools, oftentimes they will ask you to fill out a second form something called a CSS profile. And that form will probably ask information about the non-custodial parent, the other parent, just so that they can see how much both parents can possibly contribute. Okay. John, when, um, 
my friends and I, again, we all have, uh, you know, younger grammar, middle school age children, but we kind of always say to ourselves like, Oh, we're probably not going to qualify for anything. Or, you know, I always hear people, even I, you know, even my husband and I do have a few friends who are putting kids through school Mm -hmm. and who kind of just state the fact and they state it so factually and so confident, ah, I'm not going to get anything. Is that always true or is it, you know, kind of just a fixed mindset people have or, or if it is true, how should people like that handle this process? Yeah. yeah. A lot of people, when they, they think that way, they're thinking more about just the need-based aid side. Okay. Okay. And it's very possible that they may not qualify. Yeah. Um, Although we have seen situations where people with family incomes of $300,000 or more still can qualify for need-based aid depending on their circumstance. But let's say they're not need-based aid candidates, but they're looking at schools that provide that type of tuition discounting I described earlier. Mm -hmm. They may very well you know, uh, get some sort of financial aid. But if they don't fill out the FAFSA form, they may be doing themselves a disservice. Okay. So we always tell people to fill out the form uh, because that FAFSA form can actually be an indicator to the school that money is an important decision tool for you to figure out which school they're going to. Mm -hmm. And if you don't fill it out, they'll assume that maybe perhaps you don't have the money as being a primary driver. Yes. Or that the money doesn't matter. So they can charge you whatever and you're going to pay it. So filling out. So no matter what the situation is, um, fill out the form because your situation could change too at some point in the four years. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's an important point because Mm -hmm. if you fill out the FAVSO and everything's all, you know, sunshine and rainbows Mm -hmm. and then Next year, all of a sudden, I mean, we've all seen people through COVID lose their jobs. Yeah. And, you know, if that happens to you while your kid's in school, the the way that the college is going to be able to make the best possible judgment as to how they can help you is if they have that baseline good year yeah. on file yep. so that they can see how your situation has changed. That's great. And you also mentioned the college knowing what money means to you. Mm-hmm. So knowing that money's important to you through filling out the form, you mentioned they, you know, they can track how long you spend on that part of the website. Oh, yeah. Um, if you open their, their money-based emails, right, they can kind of track what your behaviors oh, yeah. or, or, yeah, or they, values are around yeah, money. Yeah, all these people went to college, right? Yes. So they understand how yes. all this stuff works. <laughs> and and so, yeah, they are really good at tra- this whole concept is something called demonstrated interest. Okay. And demonstrated interest can go not only on the monetary side, but also on the, you know, the curriculum or, or admission side where, you know, they can often track based on your web address, you know, how long you're spending on the website. Um, what are you looking at? Uh, looking at your emails mm-hmm. and other things that go into that is, did you visit the school? That's mm-hmm. very important. Mm-hmm. Um, did you go to a college fair? Did you fill out the card to win the free iPad or mm-hmm. whatever? All those things go into the equation to see how interested you are. From a financial point of view, that's generally a really good thing to express interest because that's they, when it, when it comes to offering scholarships of any kind, whether it's merit or otherwise, they really want to offer them to the people who 
are really interested really in coming. Interested. And this is one of the ways that they judge it. Oh, that is so, that is so interesting. Demonstrated interest. Mm-hmm. Um, if anyone didn't write that down, write it down and understand it, that mm-hmm. all of that matters. It does. It mm-hmm. does. Yeah. It, it really isn't even corresponding with, let's say a professor that might be in your area of interest. All that stuff is often oh, tracked. Wow. So if you've written a couple of letters to, if you're in, in, interested in the math major and you've, yeah to the head of the department, you've written some notes, all that helps. Yeah. And you hear those things, but you know, my mindset would be like, yeah, it's going to get lost in the shuffle or "Ah, it's not really Mm going to help, but it sounds like it really does. No, there, there's a, there's a whole process that colleges use to make those judgments as to who's going to say yes. uh, If they offer Mm-hmm. admissions to it's a concepts called predictive analytics mm-hmm. and it's really a process where they based on those activities can judge how likely you are to come oh wow fascinating mm-hmm. just fascinating um and how about um like tax strategies or tax credits does oh any yeah of- yeah the government does help on that front there are a few tax credits that are out there that okay. help probably the most well-known is uh, something called the American Opportunity Tax Credit, where Mm -hmm. if your income is below a certain level, dependent on whether you're single or married, uh, you might qualify for as much as $2,500 of uh, tax reduction Mm -hmm. in each each of four years while your child's an undergrad. Mm -hmm. So, you know, $10,000 is $10,000, you know, so that could be part of it. There are also other planning strategies that sometimes we employ for people who aren't getting need-based aid. It could be things like if you own a business, maybe having your child be employed by your business and then driving money to them that they can then turn around and use to pay for part of their college bill. It could be potentially if you've got this stock that maybe you've held forever that maybe grandma left you Mm -hmm. that you said, well, I'm going to use this to pay for my kid's college. Well, sometimes it makes sense to even look at maybe gifting that to your child and letting them sell it because they may end up paying less tax than you. So if you can use the tax code beneficially, Mm -hmm. that can be part of the equation. And it can even extend over to the student loan side. Uh, I know loans are never that much fun to talk about, but selecting the right loan can make a huge difference in your future. You know, most of us are kind of trained to say, well, whatever the one with the lowest interest rate, mm-hmm. that's the one I want. Mm-hmm. Okay. But the federal loan system has a whole raft of options to allow you to discount your loan payments down after you graduate and even have those loans potentially forgiven after a period of time that someplace like a commercial bank or somebody else wouldn't even, they would have no chance of offering. Oh, wow. We're going to have to do a total new episode on (laughs) loans because that seems like an episode in and of itself. Oh yeah. Yeah. And that's right. I think where people's minds go is to loans. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's lots of options there too. This is incredible, but it, it all goes back to, for me, like my big takeaway here is just planning. Yep. Is that you, you, you are in more control of the process than you think you are. Mm-hmm. And looking at college as an investment, one of the largest investments you, you will make in your lifetime mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. It, it deserves the time and planning as mm-hmm. such. Yeah. Um, yeah. Especially if like you, you have multiple kids, Yes, you know, there's going to be several hundred thousand dollars going out the yes. door and, and, uh, 
to prepare for that properly just makes total sense. Yeah. And it makes you gulp, right? I kind of get the lump in my throat thinking yeah. of that. But um, when I left our prep call, when I'm leaving this podcast, I do feel a little bit more hopeful <laughs> on the process um, if I could start early and kind of get ducks in a row here. So I mm -hmm. hope our listeners feel the same way as well. Um, John, just two things before we wrap up. You mentioned two resources that I wanted to make sure you talked about. One was collegedata.com. Yeah, we talked a little bit about that one earlier. Okay, and tuition fit. Tuition fit, yeah. And this goes to uh, the the information that you get on that financial aid letter and helping you interpret that mm -hmm. and, and giving you a way to say, how am I doing compared to other people? Mm -hmm. Okay, tuition fit is a resource where some enterprising person put together the idea of being able to look at other people's similar, hopefully, you know, better offers. Mm -hmm. So what they do for a small fee or mm -hmm. potentially for free is to say, look, if you are willing to uh, provide us names of a couple of the schools that you're interested in, we will provide you copies of aid letters that other people who have recently applied there and gotten accepted mm. have received. So you can see young people who have similar academic backgrounds mm -hmm. to you, see what they got. Sure. So you can make sure you're not paying more right. than the average student. Right. What a great resource. Yeah. Well, John, this has been absolutely outstanding Thank you for all this wonderful information. Thank you for all the educating and all the work you do in this field to help all of our young students go off to college. But um, I'm so grateful for having you on the show. No, I'm glad to be able to share the information. Oh, good. Thank you for listening to Master Your Money. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Every little bit helps. You can also follow us on our Instagram at Barnum Financial Group. If you're interested in connecting or working with a financial advisor at the Barnum Financial Group, the links are in the show notes of this episode. All opinions expressed by the program participants are solely their current opinions and do not reflect the opinions their respective parent companies or affiliates or the companies with which the program participants are affiliated. Investments or strategies mentioned in this program may not be suitable for you, and you should make your own independent decision regarding them. This material does not take into account your particular investment objectives, financial situation, or needs, and is not intended as recommendations appropriate for you. You should strongly consider seeking advice from your own investment advisor. Securities and investment advisory services offered through qualified registered representatives of MML Investor Services, LLC. Member SIPC, 6 Corporate Drive, Shelton, Connecticut, 06484, telephone number 203. 513-6000.